Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Greetings from the Rosillo Show podcast. Sorry for the delay, but we had uh, some NBA guests booked and their former players, and we're going to have them on at some point, but you know how that works. So, Rudy, good day to you. Yeah, we're chasing uh, a few different guys. You know, it didn't work out. It's going to work out. Yeah, we'll I'm not worried out. about it, but right, we were playing the long game. We're like, okay, let's just put it off until we know it's not going to happen, and then... That's why we're doing this one today. We got Jeff Passan talking baseball, the Rosillo Show podcast, your home for every MLB story. And then we're going to do the top 300 prospects. I have my list. He has his. We're going to go back and forth. No, we're not going to do that. I'm just kidding. I want to talk free agency, though, and I want to talk about Boris. I want to talk about Harper. So I'll ask him about Harper, Machado, Keuchel, even Kimbrell. I'll get predictions on that. Uh, he's great. I mean, he's great on baseball. Pumped to have him be part of ESPN. And then I'm going to do a bit of a Boris history lesson, which is something I've always been thinking about. I've even done smaller versions of it on radio shows. But i just going to start with Valentine's Day, because love is in the air, and that's not a transition to a read. What are you doing tonight, Saruti? Uh, so, because I knew we were doing this today, I kind of did everything yesterday. Uh, I jammed up the Valentine's Day. No, but you know what? It's, it's actually funny, because it lets me tell another story about the time that you called me on Valentine's Day, maybe it was a year or two ago when I was out to dinner with Maddie on Valentine's Day, and you had no idea. Which I didn't know it was Valentine's Day. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I knew you didn't, and you had some Orlando Magic rumor yeah, news was, stuff going was, on. But I honestly, I honestly wanted to hear it, so I picked up the phone while we were out to dinner. And honestly, probably one of the reasons that I married Maddie in the first place is she was totally cool with it. Yeah, it was. I remember now. It was two years ago, yep. and I was leaving the gym, and I called you because I got a note on a Magic thing, which, by the way, <laughs> never happened. By the no, way. it didn't. Yep. That info ended up yep. being bad info. Probably for the better, fun. I think, but who knows? I don't know. I don't think it would have mattered. Probably honestly. not. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. <laughs> good point. So I can't share what it is, but it was exciting. It was kind of fun. It was a thing that was brewing. You know, like, uh, like there's always been this thing that Steve Nash is going to run the Suns. That's been going on. I don't think anybody's really talked about it a ton. I think I've mentioned it before, but there are pockets of people around the NBA. So it was kind of like one of those rumory type things. And then it's just, it's definitely died out. There's no, but yeah, I called you and then you were like, Hey dude, I am out to dinner with my girlfriend. It's Valentine's day. And I went, Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people think I'm lonely and I know in this Westbrook thing where Westbrook says like, I've been blessed with the gift of not giving a bleep. Every dude that does that cares way more than they want you to think. Yep. Um, it's the most easy thing ever. Like, I think people in general love the concept of not caring what anybody else thinks when most of us always do. The, yeah, the people who actually don't care don't, don't even talk Westbrook about cares. it. Westbrook cares. Westbrook cares. Okay, he's given us a lot of evidence. It's really cool when he says it and like, oh, you know, I've got all this swagger and all this stuff. And I'm not even really knocking Westbrook. It's just, it's, uh, you know, I've been, like, why do you have vendettas against people then? Like, why do you... Why do you get so mad at different reporters? Now, maybe you can just get mad at reporters because they're asking you stupid questions all the time, and I can understand that. So maybe, I don't know. I, I think he cares. I think more people care. But there is, and I've just, I've now gone ahead and broken my own rule. I think it's funny that I'm by myself all the time, and I think some people are, like, really worried that I'm this incredible loser that nobody ever wants to talk to, specifically the fairer sex. And <laughs> I don't I don't really know what to tell you guys. Uh, but don't, you don't, you don't have to send any, you know, sympathy letters my way. Cause, uh, I, I guess I can just, I just, I'm going to break my own rule, but I actually don't care. Like, I know there's a lot of people that don't know me that well. They're like, that guy kind of sucks. Or is he a loser? Like, you know, what's his deal? Yeah. Yeah. What's his deal? He goes on these vacations by himself all the time. Like what, what's going on there? Um, I don't know, man. I guess I've just started to realize I like being by myself. So, um, so happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, so happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I used to love to bartend on this night. Oh, whoa. Why? Can I say that in a creepier voice? Yeah, jeez. Oh, I know. <laughs> this used to be. Back in the 20s days, maybe a little goatee, you know, cut sleeves. You not had a goatee? Everybody did. Late 90s. Oh. Guys had goatees. Some people um, kept them. I don't know. 
Some people kept him. Hey, look, there's going to be some point where you're going to have to admit you had a top knot to someone. Didn't have a top knot, uh, just a bone. Yeah, the samurai Different. ponytail. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but I'm just telling you, like we're about five years away from you being. I thought about that. Yeah, I yeah. thought about whether or not I'm going to be embarrassed. I mean, I I'm already embarrassed with some of my fashion choices, like ten or so years ago. So I imagine in ten years, yeah, I'd be like, dude, I had a I had a bun. That was a uh, was a weird phase. Yeah, none of this matters. I had a bowl cut when I was in junior high. I shaved the sides of my head off once. Um, and left all Did the hair on the top. Did you frost the tips at all? No, I never frosted, never dyed anything. Uh, I almost you know, frosted once, but my mom actually wouldn't let me, and I thank her to this day for, for not letting me do it. That would have been a weird look on you with your dark features. Yeah, but I know. None, I mean, of, she, yeah. none of this is, this is not like, this isn't like some massive revelation that we're having here. This is cyclical, it's all the same, but yeah, like, I just think it's funny. Like, I try not to give anybody a hard, like, Van Pelt used to give me a hard time about something I looked at, and I was like, dude, you wore a soul, you had a soul patch on Sports <laughs> Center. Okay? So you can, you can take that and, and go sit in the corner Game for blouses, five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he knew, and he hated that I came back at him with that, but like, he started it on me, I hadn't really said anything, and then I just go, hey dude, soul patch, like, 98 to 03. Van Pelt does sort of care about other people's looks, though, a lot. And I've always wondered why. He does. I mean, he sat there and rooted for my hair loss yep. for years. Yep. He just was a total jerk about it, and it was because of his own thing. And he kept, you know, his thing was like, look, don't fire it before it quits on you. And I felt like I was faking enough people out long enough until... Yeah, you're tall. Right. Like, at last call, I looked like I had a full head of hair. <laughs> All right? So, there was a plan. There was a plan there. Anyway, um, happy Valentine's. What a start. <laughs> what a start. So now that we've talked about being by yourself, maybe some of you aren't. And that's cool. But if you are, you know what's in? Selfishness. Buy some awesome for yourself. Specifically, Bespoke Post, Box of Awesome. A box of awesome is my favorite way to treat myself every month. You know what? I think I'm going to get one tonight. I may look at, see what their luggage deal is and go on another trip. Maybe Baja, solo. Hit up Brody. Visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them determine the boxes that fit you best. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. If you're not feeling that box that month, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits, and just so I can reinforce that, a lot of these subscription services, they don't work that way. Box of Awesome does it for you because you can go, you know what, dude? This is the one that's coming up here in a week. I'm not into this. I'm not. I don't need a fancy cane. So I don't even know if they have those, but maybe they will. But the point is, is you can just skip it, okay? So that's important. The first of each month, you get the email with the details. You can go ahead and skip it. Barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dob kits. Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com, code RUSSILLO. That's enter code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout. Boxofawesome.com, code RUSSILLO, 20% off your first box, Bespoke Post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. I want to do a little bit of NBA here uh, before the break and all this stuff. Um, and for those listening, please subscribe a lot. Um, that's really the only way this stuff works. I mean, to get into a longer thing about who's doing well and I don't know how this this whole game works, but apparently you got to kind of you got to keep doing that and keep subscribing. And that's how everybody thinks your podcast is or isn't doing awesome. So, uh, speaking of awesome podcasts, I'll be doing the rest of the season with Bill Simmons once a week on the Ringer podcast. So, I'll be doing basketball with him once a week. So, you know, look, I'm going to always keep the podcast different. I think that's important to ESPN. Uh, well, I, they didn't say anything, but I, I want to do that for them. Uh, for keeping me around, and I want to do that for the ringer. So the content will be different on both, even if there are double NBA weeks. All right, so cool. I want to talk a little bit about something that has come up, and that's LeBron as an owner. Windhorse wrote a big piece on it. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody. That LeBron James, at some point, you know, it's not maybe hopeful. It's I plan on being an owner of an NBA team, and I think that's great. Now, LeBron had that IG post after the Harrison Barnes tweet where it was clear he was upset about Barnes being traded 
during the game, and I tweeted something out that sounded like it was attacking LeBron, but I just like pointing out the truth. I like LeBron, I like Durant, but you had two of the game's biggest stars, maybe the number one and two players, uh, not referencing Max Kellerman's list, where you had Durant upset because he was being asked about free agency, when I'm like, well, dude, you sign one-year deals and you move your business headquarters to New York City, sorry, and LeBron, who would move any piece around him, to try to better his current situation. Now, people push back on the LeBron thing, even though it got way more retweets uh, retweets than I ever thought it would, because um, I think there's just so many people who are getting sick of LeBron. But they were like, no, that's the point. It's a double standard. I guess the way I look at it is I would never have that double standard. I would never – I try not to ever get mad at a player for leaving a free agency, but I'm not really emotionally tied to any team. So, you know, that's me speaking for myself, knowing that there's millions of you listening – going, well, I'm emotional if my favorite player leaves as a free agent. If you're a Cleveland fan and you're emotionally distraught in 2010, like, it's kind of, kind of would make sense. It should matter. Like, oh, great. LeBron's leaving in his prime to go to Miami. I'm sad. Those are, that's a really easy roadmap to go down, right? Um, the burning of the jerseys and all that stuff is stupid. And now guys are just doing it too, Saruti, to have like a video, right? Like guys are going, oh, cool. I'm going to burn my Antonio Brown jersey before anybody else. And yeah. Then I'm going to get a bunch of retweets. Like what's, where's the win there? What's the value? Do you meet girls like, a year later and go, yeah, I was the, the AB jersey in the, like the home furnace. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah I actually have less Doug. of an issue with that, that guy. Cause obviously he's, he has a problem. I have more of an issue is like, why are we even still sharing slash caring about them and all these major social media sites? Like, why do we even give it any attention? Yeah, right. Because then the places like we are guilty of it or anybody, like people pick it up and act like, Oh, look at Pittsburgh fans. And you're like, is that really all of Pittsburgh fans about Antonio Brown? Like, is it? Or is it just a dude who burned a jersey? And now it's become this thing. So anyway, kind of back to the initial point, is that to me it was very clear LeBron was upset about Harrison Barnes being traded in the game, even though he didn't realize that Barnes, as Will Kane pointed out on his show when I came on, um, that Barnes was told, like, hey, you might be traded. And Barnes was like, whatever, I just want to go ahead and play. LeBron, for the pro-LeBron people out there, were like, that's not the point at all. I'm like, no, like, it's kind of both of those things. And I happen to tweet more about the one, okay? I I try not to get upset about any player's that want out, um, but I think there have been more and more instances of this, of just this general unhappiness of players that is overwhelming and entering a tipping point for the NBA. But before I do that, I want LeBron to be an owner because then I want to see how he handles trades. Because you know how he's going to handle them? No differently than they're handled now. He's going to trade players that he wants to trade that he thinks helps bring back pieces to improve his team. I want to see LeBron deal with free agents leaving. Is he going to be happy when they leave? Or is he going to be upset because he's competitive and it hurts his team's chances? I want to see how he deals with Clutch. Is he just going to give Clutch all max deals? Is every guy that's rep by Clutch his sort of agency but not his agency? Are all those guys going to get hooked up? Or is he going to play hardball with them like other owners? My point is is that I actually, when whatever race is kind of brought up, and I watched that Netflix movie about the NBA lockout, and some of it I liked and some of it, you know, I was like, all right. And it always, you know, the owners are white, the players are black. I wish every NBA owner were black. I'm serious. I wish they were all black. I wish every owner were black because then I think we'd see, oh, wait a minute. This is kind of the same. The owners look out for their best interests and the contracts the players sign allow the owners to then move the players around when they want. Now, yes, there is a social double standard on on not black or white, but the player asking out and then being traded. Like, I get that part of it, okay? I get that part. But that's kind of like what you sign up for. That's part of the job that sucks. But, you know, when I think about LeBron as an owner and then people thinking like, oh, he'd have more compassion. No, he wouldn't. Like, where's Jordan's compassion? Remember when Jordan was going to own a team? It's like, ah, players are going to love going there. Or Jeremy Lamb's going to be your second highest leading scorer. I don't even know if that's true right now. Double check. Get research on that. Um, it reminds me, you know, and I've referenced that book, Bad Blood, before. It's about this company called Theranos. It just came out. And Theranos basically decided, it was this female CEO. She dropped out of Stanford like 19 or something. She always wanted to be an inventor. She always wanted to have her own company. And she wanted to be a billionaire and all these things. And I guess she was really impressive in person, even though I think she sounds insane because she has the deepest fake voice ever whenever she was interviewed by Kramer and some of these other people because I started researching it after I read the book. But the whole premise of it is, is here is this female CEO that is, in a, <laughs> that is going to, because she never did, she was going to revolutionize the healthcare industry with this testing device, this blood testing device, and that's why the book is called Bad Blood. 
and part of the the storyline of it is is that man this is going to be so amazing to have a female ceo because you know look at tech it's male dominated look at all these businesses it's all these men right men there's a certain segment of men right now where everybody's sort of just combined collectively of being the media or excuse me um being evil right in the media's eyes there's plenty of stuff out there it's it's just it's almost comical to me it's like oh okay yeah okay the guy looks like that so he's the worst now because he's a big rich guy that owns this company and what i would tell you is i wish there were way more female ceos i wish there were far more females in tech because i think what you'd realize is oh wait they act just like all these dudes did because now they have power, they want to obtain more power, they want to be richer, they want to be more successful, and they're just doing everything all the guys did. So this stuff that becomes specific to, well, NBA ownership acts like this because they look a certain way, my bet would be you can put whoever you want into ownership into the NBA and everybody's going to act the same in their own self-interest. You can have a million more female politicians, you can have a million more female CEOs and tech you know, innovators, and chances are... They're all going to act the same way all the dudes did. That's my working theory. I think it's a fairly strong one. But that's just when I see this stuff and I go, "Eh, how different would it really be? And my guess would be that it wouldn't be that different. So I was going through it and the happiness or unhappiness ranking in the NBA right now is pretty incredible. Uh... We know LeBron isn't thrilled. That's going to get ugly. I'm telling you right now. We know Durant's miserable. Uh, Kawhi quit for a year, and we still don't know what's going on. By the way, did you see his New Balance ad campaign? Yeah, uh, I kind of, I kind of, well, I kind of like dig New Balance now. By the way, because I just bought a oh, pair of shoes. Sweet. I know, but I don't know how. I don't know what the basketball shoes going to be like. Shout out to New Balance six one seven. Yeah, I, I think that's a tough one. It's like, hey, we signed this guy and we're New Balance, so we got to be psyched that we got Kawhi because he's a top five player. But I guess the ad campaign is we're playing off the boring thing. I mean, if we're being honest, it kind of fits like brand wise, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but how how long does that brand play? Like, I, hey, here's another video emphasizing how like unrelatable I. Am. Yeah, our shoes are kind of boring. Kawhi is kind of boring. Like, how long could you play that? I like the idea at first, but yeah, there's no long term play there. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, that's why you're at New Balance, Kawhi. Like, you, like, Nike went, hey, man, you're awesome, but, and that was part of their problems. They had some real issues, Kawhi and his crew, about the shoe deals. And it's like, okay, but is that Nike's fault or yours? You know? Uh, Kyrie is unhappy. And Kyrie, it's no secret to anyone that's ever listened to me talk about Kyrie that I think he's a dude that, thinks he is playing chess, but he actually is playing checkers. And I, you know, he drops this after all the trades and everything that happens, like, oh, you know, who knows? You know, who knows? You know, ask me, and he swears again. And it's like, man, are you that moody? Or did something happen or something go wrong? And by the way, like, even though I don't necessarily love, love Kyrie, the idea, the argument that the Celtics are better without him is a terrible one. I know the record is good, but the net rating isn't even close. And I've watched enough Celtics games where, despite his isolation-heavy approach, they have needed him to win games because of that approach. So, yes, there are people in the league that I even disagree with. They're like, oh, that whole Boston thing's going to hell because of Kyrie again. There's, there's people that are far more anti-Kyrie that work in the league than I am. And I listen to their points and all these things. I'm like, I don't know that it's that simple. Like, I still wish if Tatum had Kuzma's aggressiveness, we're talking about an all-star. And some of that, I think, is in the way Stevens uses him. I think it's how other players can ignore Tatum. But I think Tatum himself is not assertive enough. And, you know, I could do this whole Celtics breakdown, but I'm not going to. My point is, is that we are, and I could do a piece on this, but I'm not a writer. I could do a longer, deep, I'm probably going to save this because it's going to keep happening. But we're at a point now where we've had LeBron, KD, Chris Paul, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, all of these guys that have been so incredibly unhappy that are at the top of their profession. And it's just becoming more and more of a bad look. And I don't think it's the same as being somebody that goes, oh, you can be traded and then we're mad when you want to ask out. I just, I can't think of a time ever before where you've had every one of the best players in the league collectively this unhappy in such a short amount of time and I don't know I have some theories on what that is and I'm not quite sure if it's fixable 
but it's something that I think could alienate you know, fans at some point. Be like, oh, this again? This guy's upset now? I mean, Jimmy Butler's been mad three times in less than two years. Let's talk some baseball, though. All right, so we want to do a little baseball here. You guys know I grew up in baseball, right? Background, Trenton Thunder, AA, what's up? Uh, but I still care about this stuff. I'm always fascinated by the contractual way things work, the perceptions of things. And right now, baseball has a huge perception problem because nobody's quite sure what the hell's going on other than there's a 100 free agents sitting around and current players, Verlander went off, Pat Neshek, reliever went off the other day saying this system's totally broken and let's get ready for work stoppage and all these things. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore. I've read the fan graph stuff that tell you that the 2018 revenue splits the worst split since 2010, which doesn't make sense. And basically what their argument is, is that we've never had this low a percentage of the revenue going to the players in modern times and that the trend is going in reverse. Baseball's arguments that nobody understands what the hell's going on because you guys aren't factoring the minor leagues benefits and all these, you know, look, we can start talking deferred costs and all this stuff. And I think before I always believed the outside and never believed the MLB owners, but I do like Rob Manfred. I like him a lot more than Bud Selig and I hope I don't get suspended for saying that, but I just like, Manfred. Um, I, it doesn't mean I believe everything he says, but I think this guy is really trying here. So we could do a big what's wrong with baseball thing, and I'll ask passing some of this stuff, but you know, part of it could be that the players aren't getting their share. I'm open to that discussion. But it also could be that we have 30 front offices that realize these ridiculous contracts for position players, 8- and 10-year deals are stupid, because you know why? They're all stupid. Almost every, we're going to go through them here, little history lesson, but it's overwhelming how bad that deal turns out to be. The investment is almost always the wrong one to make. So it's not just all the free agents, it's the top guys like Harper and Machado and trying to figure this out. Now, the first thing I want to point out is Scott Boris. He's a great agent. I don't know if things are changing. I don't know if his game plan is working the way it always has. There's evidence the last couple of years that it isn't working. I would never be stupid enough to say that he's not a good agent because it's just dumb. Um, you not you cannot like him. You can blame him from stuff. That's fine. I'm sure there's players that love him and players that don't. Uh, I've always heard he's really controlling and he wants to control everything. And Mark Teixeira, I know I went back and read this stuff this morning. A lot of work on the Google machine this morning, Srudy. But it's man you know, hours. Hours. Hours on Google. What would you do today? I woke up and started researching baseball contracts. <laughs> what did you do? How's your Valentine's Day going? Um, so I would, I just want to talk about Boris because Boris has played everybody over the years and some of it annoys me because I just feel like, oh, hey, here's another article claiming that this guy's going to get 200 million or 300 million. And then, oh, no way, the contract comes in and it's way less. And then the fan base or the ownership of that team think, oh my gosh, we got this guy at a discount. In November, Boris was saying he was going to be 300 million and we only paid 250 million. We're awesome. He's like, no, man, that was a negotiation. And yet it was negotiated in the public. And just like any negotiation, if you have a job that's important enough, like if I have a contract coming up with ESPN, they're going to offer me something lower than what I want, hoping I say yes, because there are rumors of people in my business that have said yes to the first offer, which I'll never understand. And um, I'll ask for things that I probably am not going to get. And then you kind of meet somewhere in the middle. You know, it's been said millions of times that a good deal is one where both sides kind of walk away a little frustrated. Or we have jobs like I've had in the past where they go, hey, it's 11 bucks an hour, pound sand. So with Boris, he's he's always leaked out this massive, and it's not leak, he tells you. He tells you this grand plan, this massive number, everybody repeats it all the time, and then you're kind of like, well, what's going to happen? Is Bryce Harper going to get $400 million? So let's look back at Boris and his history, and I'll use some of these examples and kind of break it down where I get frustrated with the way the Boris clients are talked about, and I don't know if it's that baseball's broken and there's all these free agents available. Maybe because I would hang up the phone. Hey, it's Scott Boris. Do you want to do 400, 300 million for Bryce Harper? I'd be like, no, I don't because those deals never work out for position players or they're, they work out less than 10% of the time. I mean, they just don't. And I'm going to go over a ton of them with you here. November 9th, it was reported. Um, well, actually it was reported at the end of the regular season that Harper turned down a 10 year, $300 million deal with the Nets, right? Cause Boris always wants his guys to get to free agency. November 9th, the Washington Post reported that Boris was floating a $400 million price tag for Harper out there, and he called it a reasonable number, but still conservative, because he didn't even want to, like, put a cap on anything. Like, Boris is going, should I even say that 400 is what we're looking for? That may seem low. 
He also said, and this is Boris, that he wants to sell the ownership. Well, of course you want to sell the ownership because the owners are more emotional and, let's face it, dumber when it comes to baseball than the guys working in the front office who have worked in front offices. Even, you know, look, you can talk about the young numbers guys, but they figured out that you don't have to go and pay a dude $15 million to play first base anymore. You just don't. And I think that's something that can be a credit to teams. Like, what if teams are just smarter and it's not some huge conspiracy to keep prices down, even though when you do the 50-50 argument, I'm willing to hear both sides on it because I read so much stuff that I'm still not sure who to believe. There was another piece, December 9th, MLB.com. Boris said that, quote, Harper could earn a team a billion dollars over a period of years. He argued that it's a billion dollars over a period of years because the Nats went from a $500 million valuation to a $2 billion valuation. Again, that sounds really good. But media members print this stuff up, and they never point out, guess what? Every sports franchise in this country is worth way more money now because of TV rights. And even baseball, despite its declining popularity, the regional networks crush it. They absolutely crush it. And whether it's a college football conference having more money than ever before, or basketball with the tournament, NBA, NFL, MLB, it's not because Bryce Harper hit a few home runs for your team that your team quadrupled in value. Okay, And this stuff is not easy to shoot down, yet so many people write it all the time. And Boris Boris must be so unimpressed with us collectively in the media because we just eat it all up and do his work for him. Um, I'll still argue, you know, if anybody wants to talk about the valuation of, of franchises, let me know who writes up the huge piece in the New York Times about how some owner had his team for 10 years and lost his shirt. Because it doesn't happen. December, USA Today. Boris compares LeBron to Bryce Harper, saying that basically they're the same impactful kind of guy, when it just, the sports don't work that way. I mean, I don't need to explain that to anybody listening to this right now. Basketball, if you have the best players, it can totally lead you to championship contention. You can have the best pitcher, you can have the best positional player in baseball, and it may not mean anything. He also said that Harper at the same age has more home runs than Babe Ruth did. Well, I wonder why that is. Do you think it might be because Babe Ruth pitched over a 1,000 innings his first four full seasons? I think that would have something to do with it. Um, and again, Ruth didn't really start hitting. It's not even full-time. His first season where he was hitting was his fifth technical season in the big leagues, uh, 317 at-bats. And then after that, I think it was 1918 when he took even more at-bats. The Yankees got him after that, and then he just became a hitter. And that's also Ruth transitioning out of the dead ball era, which is somewhat attributed to Ruth's ascension as a hitter, but also the fact that they used the same ball over and over again, and that's why they actually did call it a dead ball. So Harper is sold as this transformative franchise player, which I even have my doubts about that. But it'd be one thing if you go, okay, look how young Harper is. He's already got an MVP. Um, there's going to be excitement because he does have that stardom quality to him. But the fact is that Boris has done this so many other times with different players. Last year, J.D. Martinez, he floated out a number of $200 million. He signed... J.D. signed with the Sox for five years and $110 million with opt-outs after the second year. It's a front-loaded contract. Prince Fielder, he was floating out a number that was bigger than Pujols' contract at 10 years and $240 million. And by the way, Angels fans, you still have three years and $90 million due to Pujols, which just you're like, what, that contract? Yep, that one. So he wanted more than Fielder. Uh, excuse me, he wanted Fielder to own more, uh, earn more than Pujols. When people asked about Fielder's body, Boris, this was actually pretty clever. He goes, yeah, but it's compact and it's a smaller strike zone. <laughs> or he's going to be forced to retire because of fusion in his back. So Fielder, who he compared to Jamie Foxx and Luke Gehrig, doesn't even play, and he got a nine-year, $214 million deal. Mark Deshera, he told Bill Madden in 2008 that Deshera's price was going to be around 10 years and $250 million. Deshera actually got to eight years and $180 million with the Yankees, but Deshera was really lucky because it was a Sox-Yanks arms race, and the Yankees were furious about the Red Sox starting to win games, and they still had the Angels in on it. I think Atlanta was still trying to recoup him because of what they'd given up for him. So that one came under $70 million. Matt Wieters, this is one of my favorites. The catcher, he was a big-time prospect. Everybody knew it. His career hasn't necessarily been that with the O's, uh, and then he moved on to the Nats. But in 2013, the Orioles wanted to do a long-term deal. Boris doesn't like to do extensions. He wants guys to go to free agency. So apparently they countered. What I read this morning was that Boris, they countered to the O's for eight years and $184 million at the end of 2013. Weeders ended up signing a one-year deal for $8.3 million. He's made only $43 million since, and he's actually a free agent now, unless that's changed. Um, 
last year, and Buster only wrote about this, that Boris's tactics are not working. They're not as successful because we're not just talking about Harper here. There's other dudes. He has a ton of guys. Um, Mustakis rejected a $17 million offer, a qualifying offer. Kansas City then get a $6.5 million deal. Carlos Gonzalez told people that he turned down a three-year, $45 million extension from the Rockies and then ended up settling for one year and $8 million. I mean, Boris once compared Oliver Perez to Sandy Koufax. So I didn't even have to do, I could do 10, 20 more. It just depends on how long I need to go to make the point, and I think I'm making the point. I'm not knocking Boris for the approach and selling his player through the media, but we eat it all up and never challenge it, or we don't challenge it enough, and we just go, oh my gosh, it'd be a TV show. Is Bryce Harper worth a half a billion dollars? I don't know. That's what Boris says he's going to be. And then he ends up signing for $300 million and people act like that's some kind of win. And it's a win for Boris and Harper. But there's evidence with this stagnated free agency. And it's funny going back and reading all this hot stove stuff from 10 and 5 years ago where they're like, it's the end of December and these guys still haven't signed. Dude, it's February 14th. And there's all of these free agents still available. Just from a boredom factor, a a sport that's trying to stay in the consciousness nationally, your free agency doesn't even happen anymore. I mean, catchers, pitchers and catchers are reporting. The Machado Harper news should be fun. It should be exciting. It shouldn't be dragged out this long. So as only pointed out last year in free agency and others continue to, they're wondering if Boris tactics still work as well as they do. And if you want more evidence that aren't just Boris clients, I went through it this morning. It's so bad. The history and why these deals take forever, because I can't believe there's actually teams that are still willing to go to $300 million or $250 million for position player, a 10-year deal. I mean, can you imagine? Like, Machado's really good. No thanks. For 10 years of that guy? And Harper, who I still think you could argue is a little overrated based on his – he has one incredible statistical year – Followed by, you know, some good stuff and his OBP is good. He doesn't strike out a ton. He walks a lot. Last year was his first year with 100 RBIs. And we're talking about 300 or a floated number of $400 million. I mean, look at the position deals and you can stop me at any time because I could go forever. Pool holes, 10 years, 240. Robinson Cano, 10 years, 240. Prince Fielder, 9 years, 214. Jason Hayward, 8 years, 184 million. Teixeira, 8 years, 180 million. That one's, you could argue kind of worth it, but he did fall off at the end. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, eight years, two hundred forty-eight million. Joey Votto, ten years, two hundred twenty-five million. Those you could argue, well, you know, in the peak years, it's still kind of worth it. We're talking triple crown here with Votto. All right, fine. Then I'll hit you with Todd Helton or Jason Worth or Alfonso Soriano or Hosmer, who's going to be paid until two thousand twenty-five, or David Wright, who has two more years, or Barry Zito being one of the worst pitching contracts ever. Troy Tulowitzki still is owed money. Chris Davis, Matt Kemp. You know, for every. Positional player, I've heard arguments that, yeah, some of the pitchers work, and I'll take that. I don't care what you pay Kershaw, despite the postseason numbers. Um, you know, the Grinky deal's aggressive. I don't like it. History tells us, though, going big, maybe even a Scherzer on the pitchers might be worth it. I still think that number one guy is so important to have somebody that scares the hell out of the opponent in a postseason. Um, others probably think, no, it's much cooler to have a guy face one batter like the Brewers and then yank him and screw up the lineup. I don't know, dude. That, to me, is far too excessive with some of the baseball stuff that they're doing. I'm sure there's Red Sox fans that actually think David Price is worth seven years, $217 million. No, he isn't. I don't care what he did in the postseason. He's not worth that. So there are a few pitchers that I'll be willing to hear the argument on. But this is, I'm telling you, if you go through all the long-term positional player contracts, it is easily over 90% of the time the argument isn't even debatable that the team should regret it. So now we're waiting on Machado and Harper for 10-year deals or 8-year deals, and it's in the middle of February, and and what? Are the teams out to get the players? Is this some grand conspiracy? Or are teams looking at stuff that I wrote on a legal pad this morning? I'm not getting paid for this. Okay, I don't work for any of these teams, obviously. I don't care. <laughs> but if I can figure this out, maybe that's your answer. Maybe those days are gone. I get what you're saying, but is there any way that the that like these baseball teams that are going to sign a Bryce Harper or one of these, you know, 200, 300 whatever million dollar players, is there any way that they look at it like, "Hey, the public is going to think we're super smart and we got a good deal even if you know it in your heart of heart that that's not exactly what happened?" 
So you're saying the public hears the Boris number at the beginning of it, and then they think, "Oh man, we got yeah," be- and like, "Oh geez, wow, the Yankees got a great deal there." Like you know, Cashman's Cashman's brilliant GM. I've never quite understood fans going like, "What do I care what anybody gets paid?" You know, it's not my money. But I think they do though. I mean, you're right. I don't understand basketball. That, they you definitely always do. care. You know, if somebody says that in basketball, it's like, okay, then I, you know, you're following the wrong sport because the money is everything. I mean, it sucks. I don't, I don't even look at NBA trades, the players anymore. I just look at the money, uh, to try to figure out like what deal was good or it wasn't, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to say no to your point, but I think the mo, the, the owner motivation is, is different. And that's why Boris is always preying on the owners. And I don't blame him for doing that. It's smart. Like part of this Harper stuff that I was reading today is that, There'll be a hotel suite, and you get a number, and it's an ownership group that'll walk in, and it'll be this thing where, like, they sit with Harper. And owners, you know, these guys are worth so much money, and they've been, you know, for the most part, unless they inherited it, but, you know, they they were really smart at some point in their life, and they made a big bet that worked out, and they're empowered by that, and it'd be hard not to be. I mean, who would ever make some sort of business bet and then be worth a couple billion dollars and then be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have it figured out, though. Like, that guy's walking around thinking he always has it figured out. But um, I, I think, you know, you sit there, you get enamored with Harper, you think 25 years old, and Boris is giving you this binder of all these facts, as dumb as that Babe Ruth one is. And you just sort of talk yourself into it, and you go, oh, okay, we've been a boring franchise for five or six years. I think that's part of the White Sox thing. They see what the Cubs are doing. Maybe even they go, man, Machado's not worth this. Harper isn't worth this. But you know what? We traded away Sale. We traded away some other pieces. We've been rebuilding this thing. And we need, we need a, just a jolt of excitement. And we'll just, we'll pay 50, 75 million more than we should just for that. And I think that when you start doing business that way, that's when you screw this stuff up. As great as Harper may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I I'm like with I you. Your question. I'm with you too. Like I think a lot of times I do think Harper's a little bit overrated. Um, I think you're kind of selling like, oh, he's got great hair, and you know people seem to like him, and you know he plays hard. But yeah, you're right. The stats like aren't really there for him. I would be, I wouldn't be super pumped if my team signed him for 300 million dollars. No, I would, and that's kind of back to the point. Is like if your team spends 300 million on Bryce Harper, don't get mad when they don't take on money at the trade deadline. But again, the trade deadline sucks now too. Like, I used to be so excited about the trade deadline. I'd be driving around Mass. We're talking mid to late 90s. It didn't, if Peter Gammons came on EEI, I stopped whatever I was doing and just sat in my car and listened, hoping for some nugget that I wanted to hear. And now nothing, nothing happens. Nothing happens. It sucks now. And now free agency, <laughs> I mean, this is, it used to be the hot stove league and now you could be calling it like the spring cleaning league. So anyway, uh, let's talk to Jeff Passon about this. Before we get to Passon though, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter because you know what's not smart? Job boards that make you wait for the right people to apply to your job. What is smart is going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan show to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience. I don't know if Bryce Harper would go on ZipRecruiter. That would seem, that would seem a little, wait a minute, what's going on here? But then others may say, hey, that's great. He's using, he's using a sponsor. So I'm all for it. Um, by the way, so it looks through all the education, experience, and actively invites them to apply for your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. Think about that. Hey, what is this? Do I really want to? Dude, it's free. Just go. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com. Use the code Ryan Show. And obviously, ZipRecruiter is doing something right because I think there's other people out there trying to copy what they're doing, and it's sort of exploded. And ZipRecruiter still is at the forefront. They've been rated number one. So if you love this show, do me a favor, all right? And support ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash, again, Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Pump, he's part of ESPN now, covering baseball, Jeff Passan. So I just did a big rant on Boris and Harper and kind of where we're at with free agency. Let's start with Harper because as good as he is and as young as he is, 
And the price tag we're talking about, and that's the floated price tag, uh, and I, we can go take, make sure you give us all the information you can, Jeff. Is there an argument to be made that Harper's kind of overrated? Yeah. I think if you look uh, for year-over-year consistency as opposed to peak, then you can absolutely make an argument that Bryce Harper is overrated because year-over-year, he's had issues. And, and he's had foibles, and he hasn't been great. I mean, let's remember, like, going into the All-Star break last year, Bryce Harper was barely over the Mendoza line. So it's not like we're dealing with a guy like Mike Trout, for example, who you know is going to hit 300, get on base 40% of the time, slug around 600. Like, that is a reasonable expectation. And if Trout is not doing that, something is amiss. That's not the case with Harper. What you're getting with Harper, though, is two things. You're getting peak potential and you're getting marketability. And I think the latter factor is something that is not regarded nearly as much as it should be because in baseball, Ryan, you know this, there are not stars. Like, it is a star-starved sport, and the closest thing to a star in baseball, the closest thing to a recognizable person is Bryce Harper. And I'm not saying he's going to bring in LeBron money. I'm not even saying he's going to bring in KD money. Not even saying he's going to bring in, like, Draymond Green money in terms of marketing. But if you're a baseball team, you feel like you can sell tickets and sponsorships around this guy. And and that has ancillary benefits that you have to bake into the price that he's asking for. So when you talk to teams, and, you know, I don't expect you to – like there's stuff that I have that I can't share. I'm sure there's stuff that you have that you can't share. But can you help us get like the best understanding of what the market really is for Harper? How do teams talk about him as a potential guy they're going to sign when they talk to you? I think teams want to dream on Bryce Harper. I think teams also look at the way, Ryan, that the market has evolved, and they sit there licking their chops right now thinking if we wait, if we wait, if we keep waiting, this is a guy who we've been told this entire offseason loves baseball and is a grinder and wants to be out there. And for all of the marketability that he's got or that he may have, ultimately he's just a baseball rat. And if you're a general manager and you hear that, there's a cognitive dissonance with the idea that this guy is going to miss spring training because he wants more money. So you're sitting there as a GM hoping that the price is not going to keep going up, that eventually Bryce Harper is going to say, I need to get signed, get me into a camp right now, let's get a deal done with either where I want to be or whoever is paying the most at this point. And, and that's what I think the calculus is right now. I also have a really difficult time believing that the market has crashed to the point that a lot of people publicly believe that it has. Just because the names of teams and the offers that may or may not be on the table are or are not out there does not preclude these offers, meetings, or anything else from having taken place. There is plenty of stuff that the public that I don't know has happened right now. And it would be arrogant of me to say that having not sat in on these meetings that I have a a great state of play where things are at right now. But one thing I'm fairly confident about is that the posturing that's going on right now among teams in the end is not going to pay off. And I'm just looking at history for that. And I understand that looking at history with baseball economics is not the smartest thing to do right now because we're in a period that is historically weird and that doesn't mimic anything we've seen before. But I believe in the idea that great players should be paid great salaries. And it takes me back to the year 2000. And, and I've, I, you know, I, I wrote a column about this and I've repeated it again. And I think it's worth noting because it's important. Back in 2000, when Alex Rodriguez signed for $252 million, the revenues in baseball were $3.3 billion. If you adjust that for inflation, that's about $5 billion in present money. Last year, Major League Baseball came near or may have even exceeded $10 billion in revenue. So you're telling me that over the last 19 years, revenues have doubled, but great players, and I know A-Rod is better than Bryce, is better than Manny, but, you know, we're talking sort of same stratosphere. You're telling me that great players are not even going to get a 10 or 20% raise when the revenues have gone up 100%. That just 
doesn't compute for me. I'm so glad you brought that up because I remember sitting in my dumpy apartment in Vermont when that deal went down and loving yep. every minute of the Sports Center access on the Jeff Morad Manny Ramirez negotiation where Manny <laughs> wanted the fences to be brought into Seattle and that if he was going to leave Cleveland, he wanted this clubhouse attendant to be able to move to Boston with him. And it was unbelievable. But every other sport, if you said, and we're talking almost 20 years ago, and that's still the third highest deal done in baseball history, right? Behind Stanton and A-Rod's new deal that he had done. I, I, that, that is the third highest deal, Ryan, and that's 20 the years second ago. highest free agent. That's the second highest free agent deal because Stanton was an extension. Right, And Stanton, right. If, you, if you look at the average annual value, too, that's lower. I mean, that, that's it's lower, a, and there's there's some weird opt out stuff that they had to have in there because of the Marlins, um, which was, yep. was pretty predictable. But it's a really good point. But then I think, okay, I've read all the fan graph stuff, and I remember two years ago, over two years ago, I was in San Diego, All Star Game, and I had Manfred on, who you know I've said before earlier on the podcast, but I'll tell you, I do really like him, and mm-hmm. I had Tony Clark on. And I think he's in a tough spot right now with some of the players, and I don't know if that's his own doing, or I don't know what. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to trust everything I read on Deadspin about finances and baseball or the fan graph stuff that tell you that this is going in the wrong direction for the players. And I think the players look at it and say, well, look at all these free agents that are available. We are getting screwed. There is, you know, collusion such a dirty word historically for baseball um, because the owner screwed it up so many times. But I don't – I'm having a hard time being convinced that it's this big – conspiracy or if teams you know what if teams just go hey we're just smarter all right we're smarter now we don't have to sign greg vaughn to a massive deal anymore because we're not idiots you know and yeah and and here's i I don't know who to say i don't know who to side with you know here's here's what you side with you side with baseball remaking its economic system that's the only thing to side with at this point because what's happened is that math won For a long time now, and I've been writing about baseball for 15 years, for a long time now, we've written about the free agent market, at least those of us who I like to think know what we're talking about. We've written about the free agent market with the word irrational attached to it. Never did the free agent market reflect what the future value of players was going to be. It always paid for years in the past where guys' salaries were depressed because that's the way baseball does things. For the first six years, and now with, with service time manipulation, really seven years of your big league career, you are underpaid. For the first three years, you can be paid the major league minimum. Like It's, it's incredible just how little comparatively, comparatively they are paid. And so there was always the expectation among the players, it was almost an unspoken agreement, hey, you know, we, we wore it hard the first half of our career, but if we're good enough to make it to free agency, you're going to reward us for that. But all of a sudden, it's not that teams got smarter, per se. It's that teams got more disciplined, I think. And they said, well, there's nothing that's mandating we go and spend this money on these free agents. And if so many of them have had poor careers post-free agency or have not lived up to their contracts. And, and look, for, there have been plenty who have. Like Max Scherzer at $210 million is an incredible bargain for the The pitchers Washington have. Match. Like there's plenty of pitchers, but I went through it before we had you on. The positional players, it is over. There's no debate on it. Like I would have a hard time. Like if I was running a team right now, I could love Machado or Harper. I go, you know what? I know I can't always look at history, but history tells me these guys never live up to the, the eight and ten years. You, know, you know what? Though? Here's Ryan. Ryan, here's here's the difference, and here's here, this is exactly what emboldens Scott Boris with Bryce Harper and Dan Lozano with Manny Machado to stand their ground. It's the fact that they're 26. Robinson Cano signed when he was 32. Albert Pujols signed when he was 32. I mean, the, you know the the number of these long term contracts that were done when guys were past their prime, that to me, and, and the aging curve just absolutely wrecking them, is, is what is at play here more than the length of the contract. I think you have to contextualize it. And I understand that Jason Hayward's been an absolute disaster, but Jason Hayward was never a great player before. What about his own rating? 
Yeah. <laughs> Dude, don't get me started on defensive <laughs> metrics. I and, and and here's the thing. The the war people and and I consider myself like a partial adherent to war. I like it in theory. Yeah. I don't like the the defensive component of it. But those who absolutely bow at the altar of war will tell you that Bryce Harper is not as good because he was bad in the field last year. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. Bryce Harper is never going to win a gold glove by any means. But the idea that Bryce Harper, like, lost three games with his glove last year just does not compute. I've talked with scouts about it. I've talked with people in front offices outside of the Nationals about it. Uh, you know, defensive war to me is just something that you absolutely cannot bank on or or consider when you're looking at a contract like this. This, this type of deal it is to me a lot like a max contract in the NBA. There are very few players who actually deserve like super max deals. And when you're considering it, you have to consider a number of things. Can the guy play? What's he like in the clubhouse? What's he like publicly? Is he going to age well? I mean, these are all factors that are at play right now. And, you know, there are some dings on Machado and Harper. But in the end, I look at an ownership, a, a consortium of owners that is making obscene amounts of money right now. And I wonder, where is that money going? And why is it disproportionately not going to the players as it has in the past? That's where I think the argument is in favor of the players. And as somebody who believes that the players are the game instead of the game being bigger than the players, I, I just buy into, I buy into their grievance. I just think they are approaching it in such a haphazard, ill-advised, like poor manner right now because you are never going to win over the public if you're a millionaire complaining about what you're making. Never, ever, 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 ever. Yeah, but I don't really know what else they're supposed to do. I mean, it's the middle of February. I'll tell you exactly what they're supposed to do. How would you fix it then? I, I would not fix it right now. I would do two things if I were the players. Number one, my public narrative would have nothing to do with the salaries and everything to do with competition. Right now, the biggest part of this issue is not that the, the competitive balance tax threshold is functioning as a luxury tax, or, or yeah, excuse me, functioning as a salary I know where you're going tax. here. You're, what you're about to yeah. say, I could, uh, go ahead. It, it's not functioning as a salary cap. It's just not. And, and the bigger issue is not that the Dodgers aren't exceeding it or that the Yankees are just over or that the Cubs are, you know, it's not that. It's that right now there are 18 teams in baseball that are $50 million below that threshold. And there are 14 teams right now that are $75 million below that threshold, and there are eight teams that are $100 million below that threshold. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. I, That's where the issue yeah. is. It is in the middle class in baseball. The middle class is not spending what it can. The middle class is not spending, honestly, what I believe it should. But then who the hell am I to go and tell people how to spend their money? The, the, you know the people no, who can say that? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you should stop yourself with some, like, moral code. Of, but this is true. Like, despite the, yeah. the concerns about the tax and it, it's sort of being an artificial cap and the players union fighting against it, even though when they first introduced it, they did a really clever thing where they kind of kicked it down the can where other generations are going to have to deal with it more as long as it yep. impacts, you know, that was really kind of dirty, I think, by the current players at the time to be like, oh, all right, we'll do this, <laughs> but you guys are going to have to deal with it, not us. All right, fine. And the owners are like, look, I'm going to own my team a lot longer than you're going to be in the league, so fine, I'm going to eventually Correct. get what I want. But to not have that cap floor. And then I think, despite my personal disagreements of whether or not the Cubs really tanked and then won. I think the Astros tanking and then winning is a story that's oversold when you look at actually how all the 25 pieces were built. You are so correct. You are so correct. Don't even get me started. And I did a massive rant on the radio show and like nobody cared. Nobody, ah, no, they're tanking. And you're like, look at the rotation. Tell me who the draft picks were. Look at, you know, besides one guy. And it's like Chris Bryant's on the Cubs. Oh, yeah, they tank. They tank. But what's happened is because the media has sort of bought into that, and certainly baseball fans have bought into that, that now they're more accepting of having non-competitive teams where it's a team like the Mariners where it's like, man, we got a couple pieces. Yep. We really like Diaz. You know, we, we've got some things. Oh, you know what, though? 
we're not going to compete, so we're going to tank like the Cubs and Strohs did, even though, again, I don't think they really did that, but everybody wrote it over and over again. And so now fan bases are almost willing to mail it in for a couple years, and the owners are cleaning up on that. So that's the part we're totally in agreement on, that when you have... I can't imagine... If I were an owner of a team that were spending money, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be mad at the players or the players union or even agents anymore. I'd be looking at these supposed partners of mine, the other 29 owners going, you're disgusting. 10 of you are disgusting what you're doing right now. And then I got to write you a check to help you yep. to pretend you're yep. going to be competitive. Like that's always the battle. And I, you know, I, I think it's, it's good to bring it up because that's the part. Those guys not spending is why I've got a hundred guys waiting around for a job. Let, well, let me jump in on that. There are not 100 guys waiting for jobs right now. There are 15 How many? guys who are waiting. There, <laughs> okay. there are 15 right. guys right now. All right. Um, well, uh, th- so, I mean, seriously, if you go and look at that's a, that is a narrative that amazingly, and this shows you, if you repeat something enough and it sounds compelling, that people will buy into it. There are 15 big league players who don't have jobs right now. Um, well, I don't know. I went through. I went through quite a a lot of stuff today. I mean, you're basically saying that the rest of the guys outside of the Big 15 are dudes that normally wouldn't have a job by now anyway. Is that your argument? Yeah, I think that they would be, I think they would be non-roster invites. And, and maybe, you so, know what, 15 may be, I may be underselling. At most, there are 25. And, and look, maybe, like, maybe my brain has been warped into thinking, okay, what's, you know, no, what's a good major point. league guy? What's that like? We've seen 100 I, I mean, guys. I, I thought, yeah, right. I, I thought Gerardo Parra was going to get a big league deal. He got an on-roster spot. Like, there there are guys like that. Gerardo Parra hit, like, 285 last year, and he can catch the ball, and he's got a good arm. Like, he's a major league player. And so I know those aren't big names, but it's when guys like that start getting squeezed out of guaranteed money and when guys at the top, like, that was the whole thing. You know, the middle class has been getting squeezed, but the the top end was almost sacrosanct. Like, they wouldn't go after the stars, would they? They wouldn't have the temerity to do that. And that's what this offseason is testing. You know, what is the resolve of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado? What is the belief in themselves? And what is the hope that this system is not so desperately broken that two of the 15, 20, and I think that's conservative, best players in baseball are not going to not only be at the beginning of spring training, but maybe throughout spring training and, uh, you know, God forbid if it's baseball holding out into the season because that right there tells you that there's something that is very problematic. And that's a narrative that neither the players nor the owners want to have painted because that's something that I think hurts business long term. And, and I appreciate, by the way, I'll, I'll stop ranting here myself. I appreciate the fact that you brought up that they are partners in this and they should be partners because I think that the, the players and the owners here are at deep risk of killing the golden goose. Baseball has had labor peace for 25 years right now, and if they cannot figure out a system that's amenable to both sides, they're screwing something up that has been very good. And the system is what needs to change. What they need to do, and this was the second point I was making earlier, they need to redistribute the money. That's the solution to this. The players need to say, if you're not going to pay us into our 30s, we need to understand that and come to terms with it. But you need to show us how you're going to give us the money when we're in the 20s, whether that's earlier free agency, whether that's a much higher minimum salary and much higher arbitration rates, whether that's arbitration after the first year. You know, there are a bunch of different levers they can pull to make that happen, but they absolutely need to do that to, to prevent this from blowing up and imploding. Okay, so let's get some predictions from you because this has been really good so far. But I, I think the best way to sell this is you giving us some predictions, and if they go wrong, we'll just, we'll just erase it. I hate. I hate. I, this is like the worst. Hey man, I have been. Look, look, still, been, I, listen, I can hate I know, stuff too. I know you got to sell it. I know you got to sell a show, and you can't sell it on like labor and economics talk. So I get it. I get it. Right. I mean, I think John Haler will download it, but um, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> That was, a, that was an inside joke for, for anybody. Like 11 there. people appreciated that, right. but they freaking loved it. <laughs> hey, look, he wrote the greatest sports book I've ever read, Lords of the Realm. And by the way, every time I say Lords of the Realm, some of you guys listen right now, you're going to hit me up on Twitter and say, hey, what was that book about? What was the book that you said? Here's a thought. 
I'm going to give you five seconds to write it down or just rewind the freaking podcast. Read Lords of the Realm. I, All right. Um, I, 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 re- I, I, I read that book literally every offseason before the year begins just to remind myself of, of the history and, and what's going on with it because it, it, is so, it is fascinating every time. I seriously think it's if you're really into this stuff, whether it's basketball, football, or anything, and all of this stuff comes back to the money, I think Lord of the Realm is the most important sports book you can read. I really yeah, aside that. from the arm. Uh, I mean, aside from the arm. <laughs> That's right. Jeff Fasson's uh, book, The Arm. Um, okay, give me, give me Harper, Machado, and what do you think? We should put Keichel in there and Kimbrell? <laughs> are we talking money? Are we talking no, destination? Just, where, where are we at right now on Valentine's Day for these guys? Like, what do you think happens? Uh, I think that Harper uh, is going to sign for much more than people think. Wow. Um, I think the expectations have been lowered, and that if he doesn't, it's it's going to surprise. It really would surprise me. Um, because I think we're getting to nut cutting time right now, and I, I believe that there are teams there who still want to win. And I understand they don't want to bid against themselves, but it's you know they're going to step up somehow. Um, and and you know the biggest story to me right now is who goes first, because if whoever goes first doesn't go to Philadelphia. I think whoever goes second is going to not necessarily beat whoever goes first, but is going to get paid handsomely because I think the Phillies get one of these two guys. And I don't know if it's the first one. I don't know if it's but the second one, but I think they're, they're just fine. in the position now right. to do that. That's fine. That wasn't See, we didn't do a sports center thing to you where you had to just four guys with four teams, and then you're like – I don't know yet, but that was a very that was we accept that here on the Rosillo Show podcast because you said earlier. I, I will I, I will I will even jump in more at the end with a couple others. I think Keuchel is is going to be the biggest casualty of this offseason in terms of wanted and expected and hoped for versus got. Um, I I just don't see the market developing there unless a contender has a big starter go down and and you know says our window is small we got to swallow it. And I think Kimbrell uh, is I, – I have no inside information here, but Kimbrell and Atlanta make so much sense, and the Braves have money to spend. And, and I don't know where else he goes at this point. I don't know if the Twins are willing to make that investment. Uh, if the Red Sox did, he's going to cost, and I'm not exaggerating here, 25 to $28 million when you factor in the luxury tax. Like with the Red Sox, the luxury tax is actually a thing. And while, while in a baseball sense, he, he should go back to Boston, financially I just don't know if they're going to be willing to pay for one year of Kimbrel what they would have been able to get for three years of Adam Adovino. Okay. I think we're good here. We got, we got the juicy stuff at the end, too. I love this stuff. I, I could talk CBA. Everybody that knows this podcast knows it doesn't just have to be NBA stuff. I think it's fascinating. I think it ends up kind of being the foundation of the stories that we realize and how teams operate and which players make what kind of decisions. There's just a bunch of mad players out there, and I usually always side with them. But I also think that history tells you teams are just – I don't know. They're a little smarter about this stuff. You said it's not necessarily smarter. I think there was a semantics battle there. But you did say something I thought was funny. You go, I'm not going to be arrogant and start making predictions. I'm like, dude, we're at ESPN now. We want you to be arrogant and we want you to make these predictions. So remember I, listen, that. I got to get used. I've only been on the job for like six weeks now, man. Like, give me, give me some time. I'm going to be coming with some hot takes, uh, uh, in, in due time. I just, listen, I gotta, I gotta watch, uh, I gotta watch more morning shows than I do, and once yes. I see those, I'm gonna come with the fire. I can't I promise. Wait. Let next me know. Time, yes. next, next, call me next time. Yes, call me anytime. When Harper and Machado sign, I will come with the fire takes ready, Rosillo. How about that? Yeah, you should say something like Harper and be like, "I think he made a mistake and should have played football," and then you're gonna be on TV <laughs> all day. You're gonna be on TV all day. Is it a fire? Is it is it a fire take to say Kyler Murray made the right decision, even though I I like wanted to see him be a baseball player? Yeah, no, I don't think that's that. I think it's the accurate one. Although I thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I forget who I was reading last night, and they were saying, you know, the A's aren't giving up on this, and that they think that the way the statement was worded was, and I would say smartly so, with Eric Burkhart, the agent, was like, hey. 
Mm-hmm. NFL, dear NFL, we're all in on the NFL. Just a reminder, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has. Maybe he is, and good for him, and maybe he likes football more. That's real simple. My biggest thing with that, and I did an R-rated version of this rant for my Ringer podcast, but the people that thought that baseball needed this as a PR win, as if the Kyler Murray part of this was going to change the way people watch baseball whenever he got called up. Like, it would be exciting for a day or two, and then everybody would turn the yeah. page, because that's just what we do. So it's not. It, it would be. It, it would have been exciting for a day or two, and then the the rest of the world would have said, why is Kyler Murray in Bakersfield? Good yeah, Lord. Right, right. right. Like, hey. what's, what's, Kyler, what's Kyler Murray doing at High Desert right now? Take it easy. Kyler Murray's in San Bernardino? Really? San Bernardino, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I like, I hate to say it, the Cal League's kind of a depressing place. And if you're Kyler Murray, do you want to go and play in front of 80,000 people once a week? Or do you want to play in front of 3,000 people six times a week? Yeah, I don't think it's that complicated here unless, you know, unless there's some major ploy here down the road. And here's the thing. If it doesn't work out, the A's will gladly take them back. Uh, Jeff, we've got to let you run, not because I don't want to keep talking. Um, but just because we only have so much time on the podcast. But that was awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate it. I uh, I look forward to future podcasts, uh, hot takes, and discussions of Lords of the Realm. And and you've, I, I swear to you, man, like you have planted the seed in my head to start reporting like the uh, the, the sequel to this because I feel like the next three years are going to be kind of incredible, and there should be a book on it. I'll read it. Thanks so much, dude. Thanks, Ryan.